Patas. 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 Welcome to the Fart House Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Casey O'Brien, speaking to our other host, Patrick Mallon. Patrick, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you, Case? I'm good. A little peeved at you for moving the time of our recording, and you're really hungover. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not doing well today. I've, I think I'm, I've, uh, what's the word? I'm on your last nerve. Mm-hmm. And your nerves we'll are see. frayed. They're a bit frayed. very frayed. We'll see how this recording goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we have this whole a time, I'm just going to be trying to this. curry favor with you. Just <laughs> yes, I like this. You can really brown nose with yeah. me. <laughs> Exactly. The whole time I'm just going to be trying to atone for the sins of today. Mm, I like that. So today, uh, we uh, this podcast, we watch the artsiest, fartsiest films so that you can pretend you did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a guide through art house cinema in a um, approachable and not scary way. Um, Hopefully a fun way, too. A fun way with your pals, mm-hmm. Casey and Patrick. Yeah, um, ideally folks will get together and they'll put this on their Sonos sound system, which we are not sponsored by yet, but stay tuned. Um, and they'll sit together in a living room and instead of watching the movie, they'll listen to us. Talk yes, about they'll it. they'll break quarantine to gather together to listen to this podcast. Well, no, <laughs> after quarantine. Oh, af- oh, okay, after quarantine. Yes. But you can also listen to this podcast during quarantine. Mm-hmm. In fact, we highly recommend it. Yes. I'm doing fine. Thank you, Patrick. I thought um, I asked how you were. Did I not? No, you didn't. Oh. Actually, you did. And then I said I was angry. That's yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> um, the tables are spinning back towards me. But uh, in a non-agro way, I'm doing well. Um, Trisha, my wife, and I are planning to drive to Minnesota. I know. I'm very envious of this. To stay at my parents' cabin <sighs> for the rest of the summer. God. Um, because I am a podcast producer and I can do that. I've been doing that. I can do that remotely. And so I can, I'm going to do that up in Dent, Minnesota. Okay. So today we're talking about a great movie that I'm really excited about. Um, the 400 blows by, um, Francois Truffaut. Mm -hmm. This is kind of a classic. This is a classic art house movie. It sure Um, is. This had to be pretty early on in the Criterion release. Yes, Do you know? and I have an update on that. I think last on the last episode, The Seventh Seal, I think I mm-hmm. said that um, Seventh Seal was spine number two. Mm-hmm. And I was very upset with myself when I went to check back. And spine number two is a seven samurai, which of course, <laughs> like, duh. <What? laughs> so, huh. So seven I went samurai, back. seven seal, 400 blows. What is this? A numbers podcast? <laughs> But the 400 Blows, this is uh, kind of the French New Wave big time movie that came out in the late 50s. I think it's one of like, it kind of set off the French New Wave. The French New Wave was all of these directors who used to work for this film criticism magazine called Cahier du Cinema. Um, And they were like film critics and they were very... Uh, critical of the French film industry and all of the kind of French directors were like, hey, asshole, why don't you make your own movie? And then they did. And that's kind of how this started. So it's all these French directors kind of changing what cinema was considered to be Mm -hmm. and making artsier films. 
Um, have you had you seen this movie before, Patrick? I had, and I, this was uh, similar to the Seven Seal. I had seen this movie very early on in my film dork fandom, yeah. probably around fifteen. Probably, uh, in fact, I, I don't want to go through it now. But I recently um, spent way too much time trying to. I think I told you about this the other day, but I don't think we recorded it because it's not particularly interesting. So you can cut this out. But I was going back looking to see my rental history on Netflix, which they mm-hmm. got rid of for some reason, I think part of a lawsuit. So you can't actually view your old rental history. You can view your yeah. viewing history. But so anyways, so I fell into this I rabbit hole. I think this hole. was offline because it was rather dry. <laughs> so anyways, I went back and I, and I tried to find out when I watch certain movies. I don't know why for no real purpose, but yeah, I, I've seen this before. I've seen it once. So this is my first time watching it in about 15 years. And just to clarify, was this before or after you lost your virginity and did it play a part in you losing your virginity? <laughs> is this going to become a recurrent bit? Cause I might have to, uh, put the kibosh, <laughs> but it was, um, it was before I believe, cause I believe okay. I saw this when I was 15 and that's so yeah, before. Okay, so I would, this for me was actually like the first kind of art house movie I had ever heard of. Oh, really? Um, Do you remember how you heard about it? Yeah, I do. My friend Kelly Malloy, when we were, I think we were like sophomores in high school and I liked movies up until this point, but I don't think I knew that they could be art really, Mm. if that makes sense. And yeah. My friend Kelly Malloy, we went to separate high schools and he 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 was the one because of his older brother started getting into kind of art house movies and these like French weird movies that I'd never heard of. And I thought that was weird, too, because I thought I had heard of like all the classic movies like, right. you know, classic like The Searchers or like Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was this whole other kind of subset of movies that were like kind of art house movies from like France that were, uh, you know, like the French new wave and all that stuff. Right. So this was kind of an eye opening movie for me in a lot of ways. It's funny too. I remember when Kelly introduced this to me, he kept calling these type of movies film noir. I think he had mixed, mixed up the French new wave, mm. which is also called Nouvelle Vogue. Uh, uh. So I think he, he kept referring it to, film noir and i feel like i kind of confused because of that i conflated the two all the way into college oh wow so when were you disabused of that notion i think in college because i was like oh people keep saying film noir and that refers to like detective movies of the 1940s right like film noir movies so this was a really big this was a really big movie for me because it really just kind of opened my eyes and I, it, it's not the one that like made me want to go to film school, but it definitely like introduced me to a lot of different. What types was of I don't you know I don't know if I've, all these years we've been friends. I, I don't know if I ever asked you like maybe I didn't really occur to me. But was there a specific? You weren't movie thoughtful or, enough. <laughs> I'm just thinking about myself all the time. Sure, <laughs> that's not true. You're a very kind friend. I'm just Thank kidding. <laughs> was there a movie that sent me that made me want to go to film school? Yeah, I would say it definitely Magnolia by Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm. That was such that had such an impact on me my junior year of high school. So, yeah. Uh, and how do you feel about Francois Truffaut as a director? He he he's a big French new wave guy. 
And this is Bart, one of his biggest movies. Do you have any opinions on him? I don't have too many opinions. You know, I um, this is going to play a little bit into um, my one of our running. I don't know if it's really a joke. It's not, it's not particularly funny, but we've alluded yeah. to other times. Uh, maybe we haven't done it in the, this episode or in last episode, but I have a lot of DVDs. I have a big collection. Yes. We call um, Patrick the Collector. And we are not going to disclose yet what percentage I have seen and not seen. An ancillary side effect of this podcast is I'll be going through and increasing my percentage of seen DVDs in my collection. Collection. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. This is a long way of saying I've only seen the 400 Blows, even though I own other Truffaut movies. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Maybe this could be a fun segment where each week you introduce a... Um, a DVD that you haven't seen but you own. <laughs> it's wild that, the, that that can actually be a that, permanent fixture of the show. <laughs> I think that would be kind of fun. I we think should think that about that next too. time. <laughs> and I could just kind of muse about it, what I think it would be like, just we, very briefly. <laughs> yeah, we can start. Maybe we'll start the show next week. With yeah, that. I think that I would be kind of I can ask if funny. you've seen it. Yeah. That would be good. This is okay. I like that. <laughs> Well, should we get into the movie? Yeah, yeah, let's start talking about it. All right, The 400 Blows. So this was released in 1959, and um, The 400 Blows is a an idiom in the French language, uh, faire les quatrois secus, which means like to, to raise hell. Um. It means to like go like 400 blows, like the maximum amount of like... Get, like getting in trouble kind of like okay to, so when this to was released cause a storm so when this was released in france like it made sense to people kind yes of. people okay. know what that means it means like i think in another uh it might have been released elsewhere as wild oats kind of like to sow wild oats you mm. know interesting anyways uh Truffaut, one of the famed he's a fartour for sure one yeah. of our great fart fathers i like i like Truffaut a lot he's a very fun director and his movies are very approachable and 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 funny and emotional and human unlike our enemy and nemesis Jean-Luc Godard <laughs> who is a friend of Truffaut and like kind of the other main French new wave guy but Truffaut he made um this movie is about Antoine Duanel who is a boy in this movie mm-hmm. that's the character and Truffaut made four other movies with that character Antoine and Colette Stolen Kisses Bed and Board and Love on the Run none of which I've seen that's um, the the collection that I have oh you have all those yeah <laughs> mm, very good so uh anything to add about Truffaut there Patrick no I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now and he died young which is tragic he did Okay, let's get into the synopsis of this movie. Alrighty. Uh, like Patrick alluded to earlier, there's not much synopsis, or there's not much of a storyline right. for this movie. Um, the movie is about Antoine Duanel, like I said, starring the young Jean-Pierre Lude, who is a 13-year-old boy who lives with his shitty mom and dad <laughs> in a ratty little apartment in Paris. Um, he's kind of a troublesome little boy. But um, he's not like an evil boy. He's just no. kind of a he's just kind of a raps uh, a rascal a little bit. But he he does all his chores and stuff. But his parents treat him like he's like the worst kid. Right. Like um, he like it, it, they make him out to be like this 
like the ultimate pest. And yeah, yeah, and with almost with a with a touch of evil. Oh, it just made me sad because there's a lot of scenes where they're like complaining about him in the other room, and they live in this like tiny. <laughs> he like lives in a closet basically, yeah. and they're like, "God, this fucking kid, he's out of control." <laughs> Which usually, I mean, you know me. Usually, I would be like on the side of the parents, like, "Oh my god, this kid's so annoying. This is the worst." And the whole time, I was like, "Well, I don't know, really know what he's doing." I mean, he's <laughs> he's kind of causing like- some trouble at school, but also. Not, not really, not though. Really. I mean, he's not like he's not like destroying property or like really stealing things at this point. And I I felt so bad for him because he like he seems to like his parents. He does like all his chores for them and stuff. But his parents are they, they seem kind of like partiers, like parents that don't really want to be parents. Yeah, that's the, my my biggest impression of them. Yeah, they don't want to be parents. Do you want to keep going with the uh, yeah the synopsis? Along. So there? you know, one day he decides to skip school with uh, his friend Renee, mm-hmm. who is of an upper socioeconomic class, and uh, as they're out and about skipping school, uh, Antoine sees his mom making out with another guy, um, and I believe I can't remember if it's alluded to later in the movie or if it was before, but his mom quote unquote works late and uh, yes the the, the dad is kind of like were you quote unquote working late again and she's like shut up there's kind of an unsaid thing that she's like fooling around on right the dad. right so that kind of uh was a little bit jarring to Antoine and uh, can you imagine seeing your I mean he has a shittier situation but could you imagine seeing your mom making out with another guy it would it would be very uncomfortable yeah, I don't know. Poor I don't kid. know how I would react in the moment. Probably I don't similar either. to I would, Antoine. I'd probably start crying. You'd start crying. I'd be devastated. I'd be mm. so sad. Would you start at at this age too? At thirty two? Yeah. No, I don't think so. But <laughs> <laughs> um, this scene where they skip is very similar to the scene in Mighty Ducks three where uh, Charlie and that other guy skip school and go to the Mall of America and go on rides. Oh yeah, you remember that? <laughs> I remember being very disappointed uh, that Emilio Estevez did not have a great Coach role. Bombay. He make, he has like one scene, but he's on the poster as like the main guy. <laughs> yeah. That was disappointing. Yeah, yes, it really was. And I remember the uh, the other coach was a colossal asshole. But then we but feel he, bad for him because doesn't his his, his daughter or yeah daughter is paralyzed? Yeah, or she's something. in a wheelchair. Yeah, she can't mm. figure skate. So. Mm, yeah, I D three confused me too because in D two they play like the Olympics, but when I was a kid and I saw D two, I thought they were the actual American Olympic team, but it was actually just like the junior games. Um, and I was like, why would the Olympic team need to play for high school? So I was confused about that too. <laughs> Moving on, so you know they skip school he sees mom making out with another guy and when antoine goes back to school the next day he needs an excuse to tell the teachers because the teachers are like where were you and he doesn't know what to do so he tells his parent the teacher that his mom died (laughs) and the teacher is like oh my god i'm I'm so sorry. But this quickly gets revealed to not be true when his parents show up 
And yeah, why did uh, they his, show up? I don't remember why they even show up. Oh, it was because that guy, that kid went and squealed. They he that kid oh, that's yes. the snitch went and saw that they were skipping school, yes. and he went to Antoine's house and he was like, "Is Antoine feeling better?" And the dad's like, "What?" That's and he's right. like, "He wasn't at school anyway." Anyways, bye. And so the <laughs> the parents show up to the school and slap Antoine in front of the school, which was scary. Did you um, notice? how much pleasure the teacher seemed to take in Antoine getting in trouble with his parents. Yes. It was very strange. And I think that's a lot of like what this movie is kind of. Yeah. About is like the, you know, the power dynamic between uh, adults and children. Well, I really, I related to this movie now as like an adult even because so much of this movie is about this older generation telling the younger generation that they suck and mm-hmm. are lazy and bad yeah. and they can't really do anything right. And the te- like the teachers and the parents are really just like against the kids. They feel... Yeah, it's so adversarial. It's so strange. Like, why do you not yeah. want to like... Like they always say for the future generations, you know, got to make the, the world a better place than we found it or we got to... I care about the future for my kids, but no one really does anything that would seem to suggest that even now and in the movie. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like millennials. You know how like boomers are always saying millennials are lazy and yeah. spoiled. And even in this movie, the teacher says about Antoine that he's spoiled rotten, yeah. which is <laughs> not true. He like he sleeps in a sleeping bag in the closet and is doing all these chores for his parents. He's like not the least spoiled kid. <laughs> He's lighting but, a little candle for Balzac, like in his, yes. in his tiny little closet. I love that. He has his little shrine to Balzac that lights <laughs> yeah. on fire. Poor kid. I know. Did you notice that, like when they went to see a movie, and this is probably, a, it's kind of a meta moment in a way. In a way. Mm-hmm. Remember when they all went to go see a movie together? Like everything was like hunky-dory after. It was kind of like this temporary cure-all. They all went out to the movies. And afterwards, they seem like this happy little family. I thought that was kind of an interesting Yeah, contrast. like the parents take Antoine because uh, he runs away and then he comes back and they feel bad. And so they're like, let's go out to the movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think that just kind of like they don't they didn't like it whenever Antoine exercised any personality whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And for that, he was like just perfectly in line. It's like they allowed him to be happy right. on their terms. Yeah, exactly. Which is like shitty. It's like he can't do fun stuff on his own terms. Right. Everything he does is wrong, but when I when they say that you can have fun, it's good. Yeah. It's it's kind of bullshit. It's sad. It yeah, it's sad. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I I wor- I've worked in schools and there are some teachers that are like this back to like kids doing things wrong where it's like their favorite students are like the quiet girls who read a book and don't do anything. It's like to them, that's right. like perfect. And like the little boys who are loud are wrong and bad. And this is really interesting. Like the more that we talk about it and the more, yeah, it's kind of the movie is, um, I feel like what's another word for insidious, I believe is insidious. Insidious is like kind of, um, it denotes like something bad. Yeah. But I, but what's interesting about the movie, it kind of seeps into your consciousness a little bit the more you talk about it and think about it and reflect on it. And you're just like, there are a lot of notions that you kind of hold to be true. Like what you were just saying, like the good student is the quiet one. 
Um, and then the one that's loud is the bad student. And yeah. you just kind of grab it rather than trying to tailor your teaching style or your communication style to different students. You, you approach all students as if they should be uniform or like harnessing their creative energy for something good. Cause it's like obvious right. that Antoine's like a very creative kid. He's doing a lot of creative things, but mm-hmm. it's like whenever he does that, it's always bad. Yeah, things, you know, he keeps running away, but things are okay. But things get to kind of a stalemate and Antoine runs away and he decides that he just can't stay with his parents because his parents are really just mean to him. Yeah, they just suck. They suck. And so he and his little rich buddy, Rene, decide to steal a typewriter from Antoine's dad's work to sell and make some money. Did you, what did you think when you were watching that sequence, like, if you were stole, if you stole a typewriter today, you'd be like, oh, that guy stole an antique. But back then, it's a typewriter similar to a computer, because that's a big thing to steal. I feel like a computer. Yeah, I bet that's like so similar a to like that? stealing a laptop computer. Yeah, like a MacBook. Like that's that's non, that's non-trivial. That's kind of a serious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, these were like fact. big honking typewriters, and <laughs> yeah, it's they, huge. they try to sell it. He successfully steals it. Mm-hmm. They try to sell it, and no takers. And it's really heavy. These are like little boys carrying around this huge, heavy thing. <laughs> so they're like, this is this is a bust. So they decide to return it because they kind of feel bad, too. Yeah. And Antoine goes back into the office with the typewriter, but this time he's caught. And the guy mm-hmm. knows him because he works with Antoine's dad. Yep. And so they call the dad, and he gets returned to his parents because he had been running around staying at Renee's place. And so he fi- he goes back to with his parents. And then the parents then take him to the cops. Did you think that was and- mean? They could have just, it seemed like they could have oh, just course. punished him at home, but they actually take him to the police and are, are like, he broke and entered and stole this typewriter. Yeah, everything from this point on was very strange um, and just really kind of, drove home just how much his parents did not give a shit and almost kind of actively disliked him and did not like having him around. So they take him to the cops and Antoine has to spend the night behind bars. With like prostitutes and like (laughs) adult thieves. But it was like the parents were like, we've done everything. He's out of control. But I feel like they hadn't actually done much. They they just like scream at him. And he's still like, in the context of this movie, like maybe if we, maybe we could give the parents the benefit of the doubt for a minute, like maybe in, in the prequel to the 400 blows, maybe he, you know, was actually being really sinister and malevolent in some way. But in the (laughs) the context of this movie, it's like, he's so benign, his, uh, his troublemaking. It's like, yeah. And they're so exasperated. And then, and then Antoine's mom is like, you know, Antoine's dad is not even his dad, but Antoine's not supposed to know that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she just lets point, it she slip and she's like hitting on the police officer. And <laughs> yeah, she's like, he's not even his dad. Oops. <laughs> Did Antoine know that? No, Antoine didn't know. Okay. The dad knew, but Antoine didn't know. It. I mean, she thinks Antoine didn't know, but I don't know. If- I think he, I think he might have overheard because the very little apartment, and when they were, when he was like in his sleeping bag closet, he oh yeah. might have overheard. He might have overheard. Yeah, um, but I don't know if he had known prior to then. Do you think? Um, you know what? This for some reason, or not for some reason, for a particular reason, um, this final 
these final sequences in the movie reminded me a lot of Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. And did that come do you first? Think, what's that? Which came first? Uh, Rebel Without a Cause. I checked because I was like, maybe this inspired Rebel Without a Cause, but 400 Blows was 59. Yeah. And uh, Rebel Without a Cause was 50, 55. Okay. So I wonder if uh, Rebel Without a Cause inspired this. I feel like I it, bet it, it must did. Have. I think that the um, Nicholas Ray, the director of Rebel Without a Cause, was a huge influence on... Actually, American cinema in general was a huge influence mm-hmm. on the French New Wave because there was actually pretty cool movies being made in the U.S. at that time that the French New Wave directors were kind of like, why aren't we making these types of movies? Right. Um, yeah, they were huge fans. I feel like one thing that I've kind of like, uh, you know, absorbed through osmosis of like being adjacent to like film buffs and, you know, reading things here and there is like, like Nicholas buffs? Ray and Samuel Fuller were like the uh, the guys that they really gravitated yeah. towards. Do you think we're film buffs? Would you describe yourself as such? It's kind of an annoying term, but yeah, I would say that we're film buffs. And I don't know why it's annoying. Maybe it's not annoying. Cinephiles? Mm-hmm. Cinephile, yeah. That's the snobbier, that's more annoying. snobbier word we could use. It is snobbier. Back to the movie. Back to the movie. I can finish this part up, Patrick. Okay. Um, so, you know, the parents are like, we, we have, there's nothing. We tried literally everything. They've done nothing. And they send, the police are like, well, let's send them to an observation center for troubled youths. It's like juvie, basically. And which was like a really nice like resort on a lake. <laughs> I was like, damn, it looks like the Lake Arrowhead Resort, like a conference center. You've been there, yeah, right? I have, yeah. Like with a lodge and stuff? Yeah, it was pretty nice. Yeah. And during a soccer match, oh, one thing that keeps happening through the movie is that he's like, I want to see the ocean. I want to go to the shore. And right. his mom, when he asks, when she says, the pol- talking to the police about sending him to juvie, she's like, can you have it by the shore? And <laughs> to me, I literally, I wrote, it's like his mom wants him his mom wants him in an observation center by the seashore lol it's like she cares enough that she wants him to be near the seashore but doesn't want to have anything to do with her child well i think that maybe was so she could visit and it would be yeah nice. yeah that's what was funny about it too it was like more for her yeah. than for him that's and then right. she that's visits right. him at the detention center or the juvie and she's so mean yeah it's just awful so you know he's getting along okay there and then during a soccer match, he bolts and he runs away. And there's a really cool last shot that's just tracking shot, super long of him just running. And he runs to the beach and he's kind of playing around. And then he turns towards the camera and it's a freeze frame on the face of Antoine Dunnell. And that's the end of the movie. And that's it. Fiend. I was emotional Fiend. at the end. It was. I even, I wrote, uh... I wrote that. I wrote that I was getting. I was like, well, towards the end, I wrote the shit really started affecting me. Remember in the prison car driving away, like yes. when he's looking like at Paris, like the shots of Paris. And-, and you are just like, I think that's another thing just from working with kids. It's so easy to be like, these little shits are evil monsters. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're, they're, they're horrible, but they're really just tiny little babies, you know? Yeah. And you really felt. That's right. You used to. Um- I worked at a nursery, uh, preschool. Preschool, yeah. Well, didn't you also work at an elementary school yeah, for a while? Yeah, it was the same place. I was, I worked at a, I would work at the preschool in the mornings and then tutor kindergarten through fifth grade. That's right. Afterward. Wow. So I was. Do you have a lot of experience? Yeah, I was a camp counselor too. Oh my god. So I've dealt with 
these little shits. I wonder, do you think that made you, this, that experience made this a more affecting film experience for you? I think so, because I, I like kids. I know you famously hate children, and, uh, <laughs> but yet you were still able to enjoy this movie. I don't famously hate children. Yes, you do. I, I'm warming up to children. Whoa. I feel like every time we go to like a pizza place or a brewery. Oh, well, yeah, they shouldn't be out. They should be, they shouldn't, oh, they they shouldn't sh- be out. So you're they like one of the teachers in this movie where you're yeah, like, I- you should just be quiet reading a book somewhere. Yes. <laughs> I was one of, I was a very good teacher. I was very patient. Some of these, some of these teachers you work with, they, they have a f- the shortest fuse. And I'm like, I don't understand why you even work with children. Yeah, exactly. That you need to have Herculean patience to work with children. I admire the people that do. And then it's yeah, and then you see these folks that don't have patience. It's like, what did you think you were getting into? I know. Like these are their brains are not fully formed. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you, because at the beginning of this movie, they're passing around like kind of a nudie magazine in class, or it's like a nudie mm-hmm. calendar. And they're all kind of like looking at it. Yeah. You remember that part? I do. Did you ever get a porno magazine when you were a young boy? No. I never um, never received one. was never offered one. I never even, I feel like people had these stories about how they would find their, oh, you know, the the first time that I remember finding, um, I, I, was, I never received pornography or was offered it or anything, but I do remember there was a time where uh, I was working at Bongiorno's Pizza. And uh, I don't want to be sued for libel or slander or whatever this would be. I don't know the legal terms. I'd have to check with my cousin Sam, who's a law boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember going into the bathroom there because um, I was um, I delivered pizzas and I had to go into the bathroom to use it. And there were like porno magazines. There were like Playboys like all over the... Uh, I don't know where, all over, covering the floor. The floor was covered in Playboy magazines. It was wall-to-wall Playboy magazines. But I'd never uh, seen one, I think, in real life like that. How old are you? I was 16. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you'd seen nudity and stuff. That wasn't like your first (laughs) naked woman. I had seen nudity, yes. Um, (laughs) I was 11 or 12. Here's my porno story. I was okay. 11 or 12, and one of my friend's houses that I would go over to was my friend Jay. And his parents weren't like Antoine Dunnell's parents, but they both worked. So he was like a latchkey kid. So we would be at mm. his house alone all the time. But we went, I think this is like, this is such a classic story, but Jay, when we were in sixth grade, bought a penthouse magazine from an older kid and he met him in the woods <laughs> and they bought, they like did this exchange in the woods um, and Jay took it home and Jay hit it. I remember he had a game and Infor- he had a bunch of game informer magazines and he took the cover off a game informer magazine and taped it to the cover of penthouse and <laughs> hid that like in a folder. And so we all, we all looked at that. What is Jay doing now? <laughs> Jay is uh, really successful. He works for City Pages, which is kind of like the LA Weekly uh, in Minneapolis. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's doing well. We, we, we're is still he friends. Editor or... Yeah, he's the editor. Cool. He's the web editor of City Pages. Oh, that's cool. Good for Jay. Yeah, he's actually, he's a good follow on Twitter too. If you, uh, he is? Yeah. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to um, circle back with you after we Yes, so anyways, so that's my porno story and I just wanted to make sure we covered that. <laughs> now it's time for the Fartsy the Test. Fartsy Test. 
And Patrick, could you just explain what the fartsy test is to our many listeners? Yeah, so the fartsy test is like a diagnostic. And what we're trying to do with this test is determine the fartsiness, the artsy fartsiness of a movie. And it's our system, our scale that gauges just how impenetrable or how approachable the movie is to your average movie fan or average person that engages with with movies. And it's generally determined just how artsy fartsy or stuffy a movie is. Yes. And the higher on the scale it is, the stuffier it is. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean anything about whether or not we liked it, whether it's good or bad. No. It's just one is diehard. Ten is... Santantago. So the first question, is there suicide? No. No. No suicide. This is Mm-mm. this is more of an affirma- an affirmation of life movie, I would say. It is. So, no suicide. No. Um are there inexplicable images that seem utterly unnecessary? No. I would say no. This is just kind of a human story. There's no really impenetrable artsy fartsiness in terms of the imagery in this movie. Right. And it's like I said at the at the top of the show, uh, it's a fairly linear progression of events. It doesn't, for whatever you know, for whatever plot there is, it doesn't deviate too much, yeah. um, you know, thematically or plot wise. You know, yeah. it's pretty, it's consistent. Is the movie over two hours? No, no, it's like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. It didn't mm-hmm. feel very long. Um, didn't feel too long. I was ready for it to be over, though. Me too. I mean, that's most things in my life. I'm always ready for them to be over. (laughs) It's hard for me to enjoy anything in the moment, but that's. Are you ready for like a, um, you know, I'm almost never ready for a good cocktail to be over. I'm always disappointed when that's, when that's gone. That's true. Maybe alcohol is the only thing I actually look forward to, which might be a darker (laughs) issue. (laughs) This used to be a separate question in our one other episode. Can you start watching the movie after 8 PM without falling asleep? But I kind of am putting that. I'm, uh, nesting that under the is the movie over two hours because it is kind of a sleepy it's kind of like the question that are you able to hold on to the movie right Um, and i would actually say you could start watching this movie after 8 p.m because it's pretty fun and light and you could you don't have to pay super close attention yeah exactly that's another thing too you don't have to pay super close attention to this movie and it's still rather enjoyable and i don't want to say you could kind of do something else while you watch it but you know it's it's not as mentally involved no i i feel like some movies are better to like sit down and don't stop like really focus in like you're reading a book and that's not really this movie yeah i would agree with that Um, but i I think there are general characteristics that that because we are a product of a certain generation that uh black and white and subtitles can be just like immediate sort of you're yeah you're totally right i don't want to do that after eight <laughs> i think even for me a little bit that yeah. if i know it's black and white and subtitles that's not necessarily like something i'm chomping at the bit to right exactly like to be honest with you i wasn't like i mean i wasn't dreading watching this you know there's certain movies that i'm sure we're gonna watch that i'm just gonna be like fuck i do not want to watch this and I, so i wasn't like that but i wasn't like excited like oh yeah so excited to watch this. It's been so long. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll watch it. And is the acting wooden and emotionless? No, I would say no. no. Not really. It's pretty fun and, and like pretty big. And that's why I do like, I guess this actually doesn't, 
count for all French movies, but Truffaut's movies anyway, they really, uh, there are characters that are big and expressive and loud and yeah. Yeah. I thought like the acting especially, was good. I, I mean, really all of them. I don't even want to say especially because really, um, I guess I would say especially the parents and the teacher I found to be particularly that, that way. Yeah. And it was... Yeah, I mean, it's there's something that's innately a little bit more engaging about that when you have these more, um, yeah, louder sort of characters. Well, Patrick, this was a no on all of these questions here, which makes and me it's think... it's funny because I was thinking the... I was kind of thinking the fartsy test through uh, the day after I watched it. And I was thinking this is kind of an artsy-fartsy movie, but based on our test, it's not that... Which, I don't know. You give I, your score and I'll give mine. Well, I was just going to say the Fartsy test is a living document. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm wondering if you had any criteria that we need to put on there because of this movie, because it doesn't, it clearly is missing something. I'm wondering if we should, um, I don't And I also don't want the, the Fartsy test to get too bloated either. And, and where there's just tons of. I, I think we're really far away from bloat. Okay. <laughs> I think you're probably right. I guess some things that come to mind is like, is can you, uh, I don't know if this is necessarily a good one, but what kind of like, can you succinctly describe the plot? Like is, is the, it's almost like, is there a plot? Oh, I have, the, I have one. Okay. Are there more than one scenes of people just walking around doing nothing? <laughs> is that good? Yeah. I think that's good. And then I, the only thing is I worry about the kind of counting it. Or maybe because maybe because even or like even in a movie that's pretty exciting, they probably have that. You could see. <laughs> did it seem like there's an inordinate amount of yes. milling about? Yeah, milling. That, <laughs> I think that's a good. Is there an inordinate amount of milling about? I I think that's good because that and navel to me, gazing. I that to me covers a different type of art house movie like this one where it's not unapproach inapproachable but it's also definitely an art house movie yes and i think that uh uh that's a really good way of putting it um like there's a lot of movies that this could come i was thinking just like richard linkletter movies there's a lot of milling about and an ordinate mm-hmm. amount so yeah. i think this that's really good. I think we should officially add that to the Fartsy test. Wonderful. I love that. Like I said, the Fartsy test is a living document. Yes. And uh, it evolves with time. It's kind of like the Constitution. <laughs> so maybe let's what do the Constitution should be. <sighs> Don't get me Let's talk started, politics for a minute, bro. Dude. Yeah. What happened to Matt Getz's son, Nestor? That's what I want to know. <laughs> That was an amazing callback. How did you think of that? Because I've been thinking about that. What happened to that kid? Because everyone was like, you don't have any kids. And he's like, "Uh, yes, I do. I have a stepson that lives with me. And it was like, excuse me? And there's been no, the world has been so crazy since then that there's been no discussion of that since. But I think that needs to be revisited. Yeah. Anyways, let's get to the calculation. Um, Just adding this up, uh, subtracting, dividing here, putting it into our matrix. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm actually, this is, wow. I'm giving this a 3.4. Wow. What what do your calculations tell you? Uh, 4.8. 4.8, wow. Yeah. So. I think, uh, I think that's mostly, again, and maybe, maybe, maybe I shouldn't, 
worry about being such a Philistine, but I think really just sort of, you know, the black and white, the subtitles, the lack of um, a quote unquote meaty plot. Um, but then there are all these other elements that are so accessible about it and so engaging. Yeah. So I think it comes down, you know, five being right in the middle. I wanted to kind of it can be at tough. least bring it down below leaning yeah. to too artsy fartsy. Well, it can be tough because when you're in the artsy fartsy bubble, sometimes it's hard to think outside of that a little bit. You know, like if you showed this to like my mom, for example, she'd be like, oh, it's one of those weird French movies. Right. But to me, it's not that weird. But I think 4.1 feels right. Do you have a drink pairing for this movie, Patrick? I do. Um, it is Old Granddad 114. What is that? Uh, and I drink it on the rocks because it's been uh, hot in my apartment, um, and which I typically don't do. I almost always drink whiskey neat, uh, but it just kind of sounds... And also, this is a strong... So it's the 114 uh, refers to the proof level of this whiskey. Old Granddad? Old Granddad 114. Um, and I liked it because it, it's good with, with ice, with actually a fair amount of ice. Uh, so it kind of elongates the drink. Um, so you're kind of sipping on it for a little while longer than you otherwise might be. And actually, and this is kind of an interesting way to think about it too. It's like you might be scared off by the higher proof, 57, uh, 57% alcohol. Just like you might um, be scared of the subtitles in the black and white. Exactly, exactly. But then you just you settle into it. And you just let it wash over your palate, hmm. well, whether that you. be your brain or your tongue. Very good. Well, thank so you. So there Patrick. you go. Now is a very important part of the podcast because we were trying to always better ourselves and make this podcast yes. better and more entertaining and get more listeners. So Patrick, this is when we give each other notes for future episodes. Yes. Do you have any notes for me? I wish that you would have invited me to your lake house. In Minneapolis. And I don't like how you started the episode lording that over me. Well, how, you know, Patrick, if you get tested Mm -hmm. for coronavirus, Mm -hmm. you could throw in an STD test if you wanted to. (laughs) You are welcome to come up. Lovely. To the cabin. Okay. But it's, I'm sorry I didn't invite you. I literally only invited my wife and my dog, but uh, okay. A note taken. Um, I think, think you know next time before you make. Okay, plans. my note for you is don't change the damn time when we're recording this podcast. I get a text <laughs> good, fifteen yeah. minutes before we're started recording, and you're like, "I'm hungover, Casey." <laughs> I don't know if it was fifteen minutes before. Was it fifteen minutes before? <laughs> Don't I'm out of respect for you. I'm not even gonna look up if it was, but <laughs> I think the cherry on say. top though is I changed it last night because I knew <laughs> that was the cherry. Yeah, you said to go earlier. We were supposed to record later, but I know. I don't know what I was thinking. Next week we're gonna be talking about uh Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes, which what's the runtime on that fucker? That's two hours and sixteen minutes. Oh, okay, that's not as bad as I thought it was gonna be. Anything over longer. anything over two and a half hours is that's that gets hard for me. Mm-hmm. Two fourteen is hanging on to that two hour one. So uh, this is our first English language movie and our first color movie. 
And it's a beautiful movie. Like it, it is. is like in color. It's gorgeous. Great. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Fart House podcast. Uh, make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple. Um, you can follow our socials at what's our Instagram and Twitter, Patrick? At Fart House Podcast. Fart House Podcast. We're recording these before we've even released one episode, so God knows if these have been listened to by more than five people. But also, please... Casey, they should follow us on Letterboxd. Yes. Follow Casey Lee O'Brien at Letterboxd and PR Mallon at Letterboxd, um, where you can find out what we actually thought about this movie because we didn't give any review in this episode whatsoever. It's impossible for them to tell if we liked it. Yes. Patrick, thank you for another great podcast. We'll, I'll see you next week. All righty. Sounds good. Bye-bye. 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 Patas. 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 Patas.